Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to a Table Talk. It is great to be with everybody on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Today is September 6, 2023, and my name is Erwin Lopez, and I am the co-chair of the Beloved Community Leadership Team, which works alongside the Bishop's Anti-Racism Task Force, and we're very excited today to be interviewing Rabbi David Kay. Rabbi David is, an ordained, is ordained by the Jewish Theological Seminary of America, and he has served in Orlando since 2004, and he's the chair of the Interfaith Council of Central Florida. He's a native of Chicago, and he has his bachelor's degree in ecology, ethology, and evolution from the University of Illinois. And part of the reason why I wanted to interview Rabbi David is because the vision of the beloved community is to build communities that are interfaith and that are non-faith as well. And so I wanted to hear and learn from somebody who has been doing this for quite a while and who has been at the forefront of this work. And I even was reading a little bit about Rabbi David and he was given the keys to the city by Maitland, which is a smaller city here in the Orlando area. And so I figured he'd be a perfect person to learn from. And hopefully our interview with him will inspire pastors and laity to get involved in their community, to get involved with people who are of different faiths and different backgrounds. And so really lo looking forward to this conversation. It's actually my first conversation with somebody who's doing the interfaith work. And um, yeah, I, this is going to be a treat. So thank you so much, Rabbi David, for being with us. And I'm looking forward to hearing your story and learning about your background. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this work. Sure. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, appreciate the invitation. Uh, so my journey in interfaith work really begins um, with my own birth. <laughs> uh, my father was uh, a Jew by choice. He converted to Judaism before he married my mom. Uh, my mom had one sister who never married and passed away when I was very young. So all of my aunts and uncles and cousins um, were uh, Catholics uh, on, on my dad's side of the family. And uh, I learned from a very young age uh, how to live in the broader world with people who have different beliefs, have a different tradition, have uh, a different faith than you do. Uh, that kind of stuck with me. I grew up in a neighborhood in Chicago that um, was uh, uh, very much not a Jewish neighborhood. Um, uh, Jews represent less than 3% of the population in the country. I think uh, we were probably about uh, a, th a third of a percent uh, of the population in that neighborhood. It was also a very anti-Semitic and virulently racist neighborhood, unfortunately. Uh, but that also taught me the value of dialogue and the value of maintaining identity, uh, even under very adverse conditions. That kind of went with me through high school, uh, into college, and uh, uh, as an undergraduate. Um, and I was involved in a couple of other kinds of uh, interfaith organizations, but it really came to the fore for me uh, with my going to rabbinical school. Uh, you know, th that's a very insular sort of thing, going to a seminary. Everybody is your denomination. Everybody shares your basic theology um, your and shares your tradition. And uh, it can kind of push you off the track a little bit. Um, it can get you thinking that everybody thinks like you think, uh, which is um, understandable and is something that we're all really comfortable with, surrounding ourselves with people who think like we do and feel like we do and believe like we do. Uh, but it's also a very unreal experience because um, in, re in, in, in reality, uh, very few people think or feel or believe exactly like you do. Um, similar, there's overlap, but everybody's got their own take on it. Uh, that was a valuable lesson. Um, I started rabbinical school at the age at the Jewish Theological Seminary at the age of 40. So I had lived in the real world for uh, quite some time before I jumped into that kind of insular life there. The other fortunate thing for me was that uh, the Jewish Theological Seminary is on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. So uh, you're living in New York City. You're not, you know, kind of really cloistered uh, somewhere away from uh, away from the diversity. Um, once I got ordained, uh, interfaith work was very important to me for several reasons. One was my own experience, my own family, um, the, the the things I had uh, I had gone through as a child, and my positive and negative experiences as an adult. 
uh, living in the in the in the big wide world. It was also important to me because um, that was the way things are. You know, people, there's a a broad diversity of humanity. Um, I see that actually as uh, a theological manifestation. Uh, you know, that if you believe in uh, an infinite authority or power in the universe, uh, then that means there's going to be an infinite variety of human beings as a manifestation of that infinite power or authority in the universe. Uh, it was important to me then to be exposed to that, to understand it, to see where people were coming from. Saw a lot of, I won't, it's hard to use the word dialogue, uh, especially today because it isn't really dialogue, but a lot of interactions between diverse groups of people that were extremely negative. And uh, that bothered me both as uh, uh, as a rabbi and, and uh, as a human being, um, and frankly, as an idealist. I don't seem to have lost my idealism uh, with the passage of years. But it became important to me to uh, understand the other um, and understand uh, as a minority faith tradition, a uh, very small minority faith traditions uh, in the country and in the world, I thought it was ex ex specifically and and uh, and important for Jews to understand um, those other folks around us. We live in a majority culture that is not ours, um, and uh, if we don't understand it, if we don't have some sort of common ground. And if we don't embrace the difference, that's where problems come from. It is really misunderstanding or misrepresenting what the other thinks, feels, believes. So uh, I had already been engaged in the Interfaith Council of Central Florida when we came to Orlando in 2004. I got involved right away um, and had been uh, uh, helping to coordinate the annual uh, interfaith multicultural celebration of the life and legacy of uh, uh, Martin Luther King with the city of Orlando's um, MLK commission. And uh, you know, already was pretty, pretty deeply involved. Uh, and then I went on a seminar with um, other rabbis from, uh, from my denomination and other denominations. Uh, we spent a week in Israel and we met with folks from all across the political spectrum and from different faith traditions. And one of the things I learned there that was really uh, an awakening for me um, was a session with uh, um, a fellow named Yossi Klein Halevi. And he wrote a book called Letters to My Palestinian Neighbor. Um, and this is a series of 10 letters to a hypothetical person living in a in an Arab village that uh, that Yossi could see from his apartment in Jerusalem. Uh, and he describes his narrative, his understanding, um, and he tries to understand the narrative of the person that would be living in that Palestinian village. Um, uh, he had the book translated into Arabic. He put it on the internet and he said, um, Anybody who wants to read this book and do it, and anybody who wants to respond to my 10 letters, please do. Um, there was a young academic uh, uh, named Walid Issa who responded, and they actually did a book tour together uh, through the United States where they each just told their own narrative of what their of what their experience, their history, their belief, um, you know, their 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 culture and their understanding of uh, of what's happening in that region of the world. Um, and that's that's all they did. They listened to each other's narrative and said, I understand that that's valid for you, even though there are things in there that I disagree with um, and, and will never be able to agree with without giving up part of my identity. Uh, that was really transformational for me in my own work with the Interfaith Council of Central Florida, um, because I realized that uh, something uh, my teacher, um, Dr. Mary Boyce, told told me a long long time ago which was the problem with interfaith dialogue uh, and really with any kind of dialogue uh, at all but especially when there's uh, when there's marked differences is we look for the common ground which is a good thing uh, don't get me wrong it's a good thing 
But that's where we stop. Um, we know we have differences. We know those differences are are very, very sharp differences. And yet, for polite conversation, we pretend like they're not there. Um, we just say, we know, we disagree on, on those points, so we're not even going to bring them up. Um, uh, according to Dr. Boys, that's where interfaith dialogue ends, and that's why we don't make any progress. Um, it's because we don't embrace those differences. Um, uh, we have to be willing to do that first. That was her theory. And so between that many years ago and uh, um, uh, Yossi Klein-Halevi a few years back, um, uh, it, it really transformed my thinking. Uh, so today, the mission statement of the Interfaith Council of Central Florida begins with the words to embrace irreconcilable differences and cultivate shared values to reveal our best selves as individuals and a community. Uh, but I, I, I really do believe that the very first thing we have to do um, before we even talk about our shared values uh, is to embrace those irreconcilable differences. If we don't say first, look, I know you have a perspective, you have a worldview, you have a, a, an understanding and a belief, um, and that's part of who you are, an integral part of who you are. Uh, and if I don't embrace that first, whatever else we talk about is going to be, at least to a certain degree, false pretenses. Because I'm thinking about what I disagree with you on. Um, and that's coloring when we talk, how, how we talk about our and how we hear uh, our, our shared values. Um, so once I have an appreciation of the difference, uh, then I can cultivate those areas of of uh, of common understanding, and do it with far more respect, in in my view, anyway. So that's that's my that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Nice. Thank you for so much for sharing all that. You know, I, I wrote some notes on when you talked about, it, and I definitely want to talk about this idea of embracing differences. But I want to first start by asking you this question and touching on the fact that you learned a lot of what it meant to do interfaith work as a child you, you talked about and can we talk a little bit about that the importance because your father too i read your bio i'm a father I have two kids the importance of teaching children about diversity where do you start um how do you do it how are you doing it with your kids yeah we, we have a um, we have one son who's uh he's uh, 27 now um, but when he was born, uh, I was uh, just starting rabbinical school in New York. Uh, and so he was going to grow up, you know, in his formative years um, in that insular community, which he did. And it was deep immersion. And, and that was great because it was terrific for, you know, giving him a foundation in uh, in his family tradition. But at the same time, uh, you know, we were in Manhattan. And um, there was incredible opportunity to be exposed to such a rich diversity of cultures, languages, uh, you know, belief systems, and and just people. You know, you can't you can't walk down the street in Manhattan without you know without encountering just all kinds of folks, um, uh, from the ridiculous to the sublime. Really, it's it's just a, a an incredible microcosm of uh, uh, of all kinds of humanity. Um, and we felt it was important not to shelter him from that. Um, quite the opposite, just to go out and live in uh, in this city and take advantage of everything that was available there. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it starts really from the very beginning. I mean, your your first uh, social network is your is your family of origin, of course. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But, you know, I, it, it is really true that it takes a village to raise a child and um, <clears throat> how how diverse of a village you, uh, um, you know, you create for your child is 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 what's important. Um, you know, we didn't have that vast of diversity in our in our circle of friends or family, um, but we were living in a community. And even if you don't live in a, a major metropolitan area, um, you're living in a world that's got. Uh, an incredible and rich and beautiful diversity, and uh, the the upside of things like you know 
the internet and social media is um, if you use it judiciously and and correctly, in my view, um, then you can also get contact with aspects of of the of the human of the human race that you wouldn't find anywhere else. And you refer to to insular communities, and for the listener, I had I had don't worry, I had to Google the word too. It's one of the few times I hear this word, but I'm looking it up here in the dictionary, and it says, "ignorant of or uninterested in cultures, ideas, or peoples outside one's own experience." And so you're really encouraging us to don't build insular communities can you expand a little bit more about that and I, f- I feel like as a pastor too in the christian churches i see a lot of insular communities so would you expand a little bit more on that sure it's uh you know it's and and it's you know it's it's easier to um uh to register that complaint when you know when you're a a small minority of the population and say you know everybody's excluding us um but um, the fact of the matter is, as a you know, as a small minority community, it's it's actually easier, um, uh, you know, for the Jewish community to be insular because you know nobody else understands us, and there's just us, and we're small numbers, um, and there's you know we 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 stick together. Um, that's not a bad thing in and of itself. Um, when it becomes a problem is when you build that insulation around yourself and you begin to believe or you do believe um, that that's what the world is. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we see that in, in, uh, um, in, in fundamentalist uh, approaches to uh, whether it's religion or politics or culture or whatever it happens to be, you know, when, when you work so hard to say that uh, um, we have the right idea um, and therefore everything that's external to that, that idea is must be wrong, uh, whether we've heard about it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we really understand it or not. Um, and, you know, the, the Religion takes a lot of heat for, um, you know, for being for being elitist and for uh, being, you know, uh, being the source of trouble in the world. Uh, I like to point out that if religion didn't exist, something else would create all of those problems instead. Uh, you know, we do it in the name of politics. We do it in the name of culture. We do it in the name of our favorite sports team. Um, and we do. <laughs> we do all of those things. But um, uh what that tells me is not that you know religion or politics or sports are inherently dangerous um, as some might claim but that human beings tend to do the same kinds of things with whatever it is that they're passionate about um uh, it's good to be passionate about something it's good to be committed but when it becomes exclusive in the sense that um nothing else can even be considered as potentially valid or uh, potentially beneficial, um, now you've got uh, the kind of thing that leads to, uh, honestly, that that leads to you know bigotry and prejudice and oppression and war and uh, genocide. Um, you know, the first step towards dehumanizing um, a, a group of people um, is to say, you know you're different and being different is wrong. Um, different, yes. Wrong, that's a that's a, a huge leap of judgment. And when we build those walls of saying, you know, nothing beyond this boundary can be valuable or correct, um, uh, we're actually setting ourselves up to be lured down that pathway. You know, I'm picturing you coming into some of these congregations that you've led with some of this background and some of this passion to do some interfaith work. And I'm guessing that there has to be similarities between leading like a Jewish congregation and a Christian congregation and trying to open up their minds, trying to get them engaged with interfaith work. Can you share a little bit about your experience in trying to lead your congregation in that way? And some of the pushbacks that you you got, and even some of the successes, and how you dealt with both of those. You know, um, uh, when I was in rabbinical school, I did a program called Seminarians Interacting. Um, I don't think it exists anymore because it was uh, 
uh, NCCJ, which was originally the National Conference of Christians and Jews, and it was the National Conference for Community and Justice. Um, and I, I'm, I don't think it, it exists, or if it does, it's it's in a much reduced form, unfortunately, because they did very good work. Um, <clears throat> but seminaries interacting brought uh, <clears throat> seminarians and uh, divinity school students from a lot of different denominations, a lot of different faith traditions together. Um, we did an extended four-day workshop um, where we were all together in one place. And, you know, <clears throat> when I was going to this thing, I had friends and family who were saying, wow, that's going to be explosive, having all those people together. In my in that experience, the most explosive moments didn't come between faith traditions. It came between denominations within the same faith tradition. Um, so uh, the the idea of, you know, accepting difference and, and, uh, and embracing it to cultivate shared values um, uh, starts within a faith tradition itself. You know, it was it was much more difficult to um, uh, get a dialogue between denominations in my own faith tradition than it was to have a dialogue between Judaism and Christianity, um, uh, because the people who wanted to to engage in that dialogue were already predisposed to say, you know, we need to talk to each other. Um, uh, if it's within your own community and there's a difference, it's it's like family, right? I mean, you know, families can be very complicated, uh, and the usually the, the the most difficult relationships we have are within our our family or extended family. Um, so, in leading a congregation and saying, you know, we we need to do this, uh, the the first step really for me was. Uh, forging community within the Jewish community um, to say, you know, we have these other synagogues of our own denomination. We have synagogues from another denomination. Um, you know, we need to come together as a community. Uh, and then, um, you know, we can take that, that concept and say, we need to move beyond that. Uh, I would even say that the same applies within, uh, you know, uh, within a faith community itself, within a congregation, uh, you know, everybody is not the same by not by a long shot, especially um, uh, I'm in Florida, where there's a, a wide range of, of perspectives, um, political and theological. Um, and it was, uh, you know, we, we had to learn to embrace difference there as well. You know, you, you give a sermon and, you know, uh, half the people say, you know, I know you were talking about the Democrats and the other half say, I know you were talking about the Republicans. Um, I consider that a, a successful sermon, by the way, because, <laughs> because it means that everybody heard the message um, and everybody was made a little bit uncomfortable by it, which is part of the job of clergy, I think. Um, uh, <clears throat> expanding that to interfaith dialogue is um, uh, largely a matter of uh, it's largely a matter of <clears throat> also getting outside of uh, outside of the box. Although my, my my teacher, Dr. Jeff Kress, once pointed out to me that thinking outside the box is really just thinking inside a bigger box. Um, important to know that. Um, but what what ended up happening uh, and and still does in many places is like when our students, when I first came to 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 my uh, um, to my last pulpit um, uh, at uh, Congregation Ohev Shalom in Maitland, um, the our seventh graders learned world religions, um, but they were taught out of a book by their own teacher. Um, so the perspective was all from, uh, uh, you know, was all secondhand. Um, through my connections with the Interfaith Council, we started bringing in practitioners of those faith traditions. Um, to talk to the kids about their faith traditions, which seems pretty obvious, um, but it's surprising how often um, uh, one faith tradition will speak for the other faith traditions because they 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 don't want to make anybody think that you know any of the other faith traditions um, can hold a candle to them. Um, so you sort of have this uh, um, one group talking for another group, and that's the first rule. Uh, that violates the first rule, I should say, of interfaith dialogue, which is you don't speak for another tradition. Um, what that developed into later on um, was instead of bringing, you know, clergy or practitioners of 
faith traditions to our kids at the synagogue, um, we took our kids to the houses of worship and the institutions of those other traditions. Um, so not only did they hear about it, but they saw it, they experienced it, they walked through the door, um, and it and it made it much more real and much more relevant. I really want to know how you dealt with the pushback, because <laughs> I know you dealt with a lot of it. <laughs> you had to, right? How did you deal with it? Um, you know, a lot of it is leading by example, I think. Um, you know, as, as the, you know, as, as, as the rabbi of the congregation, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid of it. Um, I'm not intimidated by it. Um, you know, when the, when the speakers would come in, they were, they were people that I knew they were friends of mine. That means I had to have taken the time to build those relationships. Um, and you know, it was very clear to the students and we invited parents for all of those sessions so that you know the parents who were there and 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 even the teachers that you know this was a relationship of respect but there was also um uh, a clear understanding of our differences uh and um uh you know the, uh, some of the other pushback was just understanding where the people who are pushing back are coming from um uh and quite often um, I'm, I'm retired from the pulpit for, for two years now, so I can kind of go out on a limb more than I could before, but, um, quite often I found that most of what was driving that pushback was fear. Um, some of it, you know, I would say from the perspective of the Jewish community, um, uh, they're not wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, there are many streams of other faith traditions out there, and and particularly Christianity, to be honest, um, who are you know kind of constantly on the lookout for you know how can we convert some Jews, um, and uh, so there's a natural skepticism uh, when when other faith, faith traditions come in. Uh, you know, there's very there's a long history of historic uh, a long history of uh, conflict between uh, Judaism and Islam. Uh, and so, you know, when when uh, the the imam came in to speak to the kids, there were parents who were not happy. Um, I can mitigate some of that by, you know, by when I introduced the imam as my as my friend and my colleague, and you know, told a story about um, uh, you know some of the some of the uh, uh, really wonderful things he did in the community uh, without ever without it ever hitting the press. That helps some. Uh, but in some cases, it was just listening to what the pushback was um, and hearing what was underneath it. Um, and quite often it, it, it was fear or ignorance in the in the pure sense of the word ignorance of just not knowing um, and uh, hopefully being able to direct people to uh, authoritative sources um, and sort of sane analyses of other faith traditions and saying, you know, you need to learn a little bit more about, uh, you know, about this. Uh, and, and here's a way that you can, or, you know, let's talk about it some more. Uh, and then there were those people who pushed back and they were not going to be moved. Um, <clears throat> if this was just wrong, we don't talk to people from, from other faith traditions. Um, uh, they're wrong, we're right. Uh, which is not a fundamental principle of Judaism, by the way, I should just kind of throw that in. Um, uh, Judaism does not say that if you're not a Jew, you're wrong and, and you know, uh, your, your eternity is, is going to be suffering. Um, uh, Judaism basically teaches if you're a Jew, you should be a good one. If you're a Christian, you should be a good one. Um, uh, and, uh, and so on. Uh, so that was really more of a, that was merely more of the problem of the person who was pushing back uh, and keeping that perspective was helpful. Uh, and it was also, this goes back to embracing irreconcilable differences. Um, there are, there were those folks and there are those folks still um, uh, for whom this is just not a thing they're going to think about. They have made up their mind. They're really kind of, you know, ossified set in stone in the way that they, they, they think and believe um, and nothing, nothing will move them or persuade them. Uh, so that's where the, you know, that's where the embracing part comes in. Um, this is what you believe. This is what you think. Um, I'm going to let you know that, uh, um, 
what you're saying doesn't have foundation in in fact um you know if you tell me that you know this faith tradition people representing or who claim to be representing that faith tradition have done certain things um yeah they have but that's that's what they claimed uh their their religion taught them that's not what the religion teaches uh and so you know uh, you can cling to that falsehood um or you can look for the truth the the deeper truth no i appreciate that and part of the reason why i ask that is, is because i don't know if you know but the united methodist church right now is going through a split and there's a lot of conflict there's a lot of tension and i'm just wondering if you could give some of us going through this some advice on because i'm sure you you shared your own um share of uh splits in your in your life let me ask you let me ask you this question david um because you've been working with so many different people for such a long time different backgrounds what what have you learned about people what have you what are similarities like what you know what have you learned about people um, I, you know, I, I learn new things every day and, and, and there's, there's, uh, and, you know, I mean, it, that's a, you know, that's a very general expression, but, but it's pretty much true just about every day. Um, uh, you know, th there's something that surprises me. Um, uh, it, it doesn't always surprise me in a good way. Uh, you know, we had a, a bunch of people with, uh, um, uh, with a, with a hateful message who were, who were in town over, over the last weekend. Um, but you know, that is, that is part of, of the human condition. Um, uh, you know, probably the most important thing I, I, I've learned about people is, um, uh, that everybody, no matter how they present themselves, everybody is, is fragile. We are breakable. Uh, we are, you know, we are mortal. We, uh, um, we're, we are easily damaged. Uh, you know, my undergraduate degree in ecology, ethology, and evolution, I was studying animal behavior and evolution and, and the interaction between species and their environment. Um, and it just probably after every day of classes, it just became more and more apparent to me um, how vulnerable human beings are. Uh, you know, all of the stuff that we've built and the tools and the technology and the buildings and the and the whole nine yards, uh, those are all things to make up for the fact that we don't have teeth and claws. We don't run very fast. Uh, we don't have a hard shell. Um, you know, we don't have any scales. We don't have venom. Um, we're really just very vulnerable all the time. Uh, and we're also the one species, as far as we know, um, that has this sense of of self uh, in other words, that we can think abstractly, um, that we're aware of things in the world, that we can create something or think about something that doesn't exist. Um, uh, now, you know, the, the, the humanists on the uh, on the Interfaith Council of Central Florida will tell you, yes, that's what religion is. <laughs> that's that's human beings making up something that doesn't exist um, uh, to to, you know, to calm themselves and, and mollify themselves because of their own vulnerability and mortality. Um, we do have uh, representatives from the, the, the atheist humanist uh, community in uh, on the Interfaith Council because that's a significant part of the population, um, and that's part of the dialogue, and that's one of those irreconcilable differences. Um, but what a faith tradition ought to be doing is um, giving people the tools to navigate that um, and to understand the connection that they have uh, to each other, um, to their own community, to other communities, and to the world at large. Um, so, uh, you know, that's specific to the idea of, you know, uh, um, uh, what have I learned about people? Um, uh, we find ways to um, reassure ourselves. Uh, and not all of the ways that we find to reassure ourselves are constructive. Um, uh, we convince ourselves that, you know, we need to be tough. We convince ourselves that we need to be physically strong. Um, uh, and, you know, to weather life's challenges, you, you do. But 
underneath all of that is this uh, shared insecurity um, that we're here temporarily. Um, we don't know. We had no control over coming into this life, right, individually. Um, and we really have very little control over how that goes and 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 where where and how it ends. Um, uh, and so that's the downside of having this ability for abstract thought. Um, uh, using whatever time we have uh, uh, is the great challenge of being alive, of being human. Um, and the one thing that I have found, no matter who I talk to across uh, denominations, across faith traditions, people who uh, are unaffiliated, people who are agnostic, people who are atheist, um, people from different cultures, is that, you know, they would really like to just be able to feel safe and live their life. Um, uh, and uh, that first hit home for me in a, in a big way. Um, my first year of rabbinical school in New York, uh, there was a, a, a little bodega down the street from, uh, from the seminary. Um, and that's where all the students went to get, you know, to, to get uh, soft drinks and, and, you know, and a, and a muffin or whatever else when you were between classes when you had a few minutes. Um, and it was run by Palestinian Arabs. Uh, and uh, I didn't know that at the time. I mean, I knew they, they looked like they looked Middle Eastern, but I didn't know where they were from. Uh, and I used to go in every day, got the same stuff, you know, got a, got a, a Snapple and a, a bran muffin. And um, uh, after, oh, probably two or three months of, of being in there just about every day, a uh, young guy behind the counter says, you know, you're, you, you go to the school there. And I said, yeah. And he said, I'm Palestinian. I said, oh, okay, <laughs> that's great. Um, uh, you know, love the muffins and the Snapple. I mean, I didn't really know what else to say. Um, and 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 he said, you know, we're friends. I said, sure. I'm a I'm a regular customer. I talk to you all the time. You're a great guy. Um, you know, I mean, I would uh, if you weren't a Muslim, I would go out for a beer with you. But <laughs> um, but you know, I you know, I'd have a coffee with you. Definitely, that's that that's great. We're you know, we have a lot in common. Um, and he said, but, you know, but we're friends and, 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 and you're a Jew and I'm a Palestinian and I'm an, you know, I'm a, I'm a Muslim. And I said, yeah. And that was all he wanted to say <laughs> was, you know, we have, you know, we have this shared humanity. Um, uh, and because our relationship was not fraught with discussion of, of, uh, of politics or, uh, or, or religion or anything like that, um, uh, the initial contact that we made was based on our on our shared humanity, um, and the other stuff was was secondary. It was each of us who had our own way of navigating through life um, and trying to do the best that we could and be the best that we could um, in in the lives that we have. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate your response. I appreciate your perspective. I have a co just a couple of more questions for you. Um, one of the things that I've been studying is racial trauma. And it just comes from the idea that trauma is when you experience too much too soon. And as I've, I have been involved in beloved community work, I've been involved in anti-racist work. One of the things that keeps coming up is those who are at the forefront of this work need to really take care of themselves, need to really take care of their, their emotions and their heart. And, you know, one counselor says that social workers, after a while, they tend to hate the people they're helping, mm -hmm. you know. And so with all your experience, how do you take care of yourself? That's a great question and, and, and a very, very important one. Um, you know, part of it is having the, you know, the support of family and, 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 and friends and community. Um, and part of it really is, is uh, worked into uh, uh, the work that I do. Uh, it's, it's really woven into the work that I do because I have the support also of uh, my colleagues in different, in different faith traditions and cultures and worldviews. Um, and we can talk about uh, and, and listen to each other uh, about our shared challenges. Um, you know, I mean, uh, seeking out counseling and making sure that you're you're 
taking regularly taking care of your your mental and emotional health absolutely is something that that needs to be done and and i'm i'm glad to see that in my uh in my son's generation in our son's generation um the 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 stigma that used to be attached to um uh you know seeing a therapist or or seeing a counselor um is is lifting uh quite a bit when i hear him and his peers discussing that um they're like you know you you, you go you go to the doctor for a physical checkup twice a year um why wouldn't you get a checkup for your for your mental health just check in and make sure that you're okay um uh, uh and that's really really encouraging because uh certainly in my generation um uh, and you know seeing the model of my parents generation um you know if somebody was going to therapy that was something that got whispered about um uh because you know it, it meant they were they were off um you know the other thing that's really really important for to to do in this work is to is to take time off from it um uh you know you you can't save the world every day um uh, some days it feels like you can't save the world any day um uh and you certainly can't do it by yourself um uh, you know you need to have a, a balance in your life uh, and uh you know we just came back from uh, uh from uh, a week or so uh, in uh, in our hometown of Chicago, where we were visiting family and friends, uh, and somebody asked me uh, the, today. We just got back last night, you know. So, you know, well, what did you do over Labor Day weekend? Um, and I could honestly answer nothing. <laughs> we did absolutely nothing. We were staying with friends. We spent literally the entire day on Monday sitting around and 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 talking, uh, just enjoying each other's company. Uh, wildly therapeutic. Um, the one other thing I would mention is uh, the the value that I found in uh, um, in in my tradition in Shabbat in the Sabbath. Uh, you know, traditional Jewish observance of the Sabbath uh, starts at just before sundown on Friday, continues until um, dark on Saturday, and um, it is a literal day of rest. I mean, you you know, we we, we go to the synagogue, we have meals, we hang out with friends, but no commerce, no, you know, no business, um, none of the usual stuff of the weekday. You take that 25 hours um, once a week and you disengage, um, you know, not following social media, not turning on the news, none of that stuff. Um, and it is, it's very, very important. Um, you know, not, not everybody can do it that way. I mean, I was, that was my, that was my responsibility. I was a rabbi, but um, being able to say once in a while, uh, here's a day where I'm not doing any of that. Um, uh, whether it's just me time, whether it's family time, whether it's, uh, you know, community time, uh, but the change of pace is what's important. Uh, you know, and, and I, I hear what you're saying that folks who are, you know, doing, this kind of work, work in the community, uh, work in the clergy, um, being of service, uh, it can really just sap you, take it, take it all out of you. Um, and you may not realize how exhausted you are until it manifests in a different way. Um, so the, the, the self-care absolutely. And I highly recommend, um, uh, you know, that, that concept of, uh, of Sabbath, uh, which, and I think if, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you're on a sabbatical right now. Uh, I am. I am on a sabbatical. Yeah, uh, still working, but <laughs> but but that it's the change of pace that's that's really really important. And I'm 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 going to guess you're feeling that too. No, definitely. I've been engaged in this work, and it, it took a toll on me. And so I asked for this time off, and I'm on a spiritual formation type of sabbatical, which means that I do work about once a week, and so my work is just focused on the beloved community work and. And my family and I actually, when I went to Israel, I was really inspired by the way that everything shut down on Sabbath. And ever since then, I came back and my family and I, we try our best to practice our own type of Sabbath. Because I guess everybody kind of has some do this, some don't do that. And mm -hmm. so we try to embrace that as much as we can. Um, That's great. I'm a big That's Abraham great. Joshua Heskel fan, so... So I guess my last series of questions just really has to do with the practical side of the interfaith coalition. So for somebody 
who's listening to this maybe in St. Pete, maybe in um, Leesburg or where do they start? Let's say they want to get involved with interfaith work. Where do they start? And also, what kind of work is the coalition doing? Like, what what kind what's happening in the community? What are they leading? Uh, yeah, so um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll put in a quick plug for the Interfaith Council of Central Florida. You can uh, um, you can email us at contact at interfaithfl.org, um, and uh, that that'll get you on the uh, uh, the mailing list, the email list for our monthly newsletter, um, uh, and keep you uh, keep you posted on. Uh, on, on events that are coming up um, right now in the, in, in the near future, we are uh, um, uh, sponsoring uh, a, uh, a series of three short films uh, that are going to be shown all together for the uh, global peace film festival. Uh, that's coming up on, I think it's the 21st Thursday, the 21st, if I'm, if I'm counting right. Um, uh, and uh, that's going to be on the, the Rollins college campus. Um, uh, these are three short films that are focusing on the concept of restorative justice. Um, and that's, you know, that's, uh, um, that's in contrast to punitive justice. So, you know, the way we're set up now is somebody does something wrong. We find them, we put them in jail. We put, you know, we, we give them some kind of sanction, um, uh, restorative justice is the idea that um, uh, in many cases, or uh, uh, certainly a majority of cases, um, it, it may be and probably is more appropriate um, to put the person back on the right track, give them something to do that um, uh, that uh, makes up for uh, what, what has happened or uh, gives them the opportunity um, to, uh, to put their life back on track. Um, so it's a, a, a very, very interesting set of three short films. Um, uh, we always, I mentioned this before, um, we coordinate with the city of Orlando uh, for the MLK celebration. Um, that's done the Sunday evening uh, of the weekend before MLK weekend. Um, I think it's January 8th or 9th this year. I can't remember or uh, in 2024. Um, that's a gathering at city hall. Um, around 5.30, we have a, a, a ceremony there and a procession to a downtown area church. Um, and there's a one-hour interfaith multicultural celebration. Um, so uh, the, the public is invited there. The public is certainly invited um, to the Global Peace Film Festival. Uh, not only our showing, but the entire thing. Um, uh, you know, we've done programs, classes. Uh, we'll be doing more in the future. Um, we did a series that we want to extend in the coming program year. Uh, that was called Getting to Know Your Neighbor. Um, and this started with our former, uh, now retired executive director, Reverend Jim Coffin, who uh, did it specifically for um, uh, individual faith traditions. Uh, it started with a um, with a, uh, a church group that was interested, um, and he did a series with them, uh, you know, getting to know your Jewish neighbor, getting to know your Muslim neighbor, getting to know your Sikh neighbor, and, and so on. Um, during pandemic, there was a, uh, we worked with uh, the Holocaust Center, um, the Holocaust Memorial Resource and Education Center in Maitland, and did a series like that that were all uh, virtual. Um, uh, so that's a lot of what we do. Uh, we used to have a broadcast uh, program. Um, we're working on renewing that broadcast project. It, uh, it sort of disappeared over uh, over COVID too. Um uh, but uh, its working title um, is Irreconcilable Differences. Uh, and uh, the idea there is to model that kind of conversation um, uh, where you're just listening to narratives um, and understanding the, the, the story behind the belief uh, or, the, uh, or the perspective um, rather than engaging in debate uh, between conflicting, conflicting narratives. Um, you know, that's where we're kind of at at the moment, but uh, uh, we do a lot of other work as well. Um, uh, we've done work with the Peace and Justice Institute. Um, uh, I'm, I'm particularly proud of work that we've done with uh, World Orlando, which uh, is another one of our collaborative partners. They are the facilitator for the International Visitor Leadership Program, which is through the U.S. State Department. Uh, these are folks from various parts of the world um, who come to the U.S., um, uh, at the invitation of the State Department and 
um, uh, visit different communities and learn about their particular, uh, you know, their particular um, areas of, of interest, healthcare, uh, civil rights, LGBTQ rights, uh, things like that. And we've provided an interfaith perspective for uh, a number of those groups uh, over the last couple of years. Well, it sounds like you guys are really involved in the community, getting the message out there in many different ways. And so I'm thankful for your leadership and thank you for your time today. And I hope that this has been encouraging for those who want to begin this work, engage in this work. And um, David, I don't know if you have any closing words for us or any encouragement you want to leave us with. I know, you know, the state of our nation today, I don't know how you see it, but I, I think we need some encouragement and you have any closing words for us. Uh, sure. Um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Psalms teach us, shalom fehu, that you should seek peace and pursue it. Um, you know, peace, that word in Hebrew, uh, shalom, that most people have heard. Um, uh, it's a greeting. We use it for hello. We use it for goodbye. It means peace. But it actually comes from a root that means um, uh, to have all the pieces together, um, integrity. Uh, and so when we say, you know, we're looking for peace uh, in, in Hebrew, what we're really saying is we're looking for all of the, the, the pieces to fit together. Um, we're looking for integrity. Um, uh, we're looking for everyone to be part of the whole um, and, and none to be excluded. Uh, and, you know, th that doesn't mean you want to have dinner with everybody. That doesn't mean, you know, you, you want to hang out with everybody. Um, but it does mean that uh, we're all part of the um, the extended human family. Uh, and as I said before, you know, family is sometimes the most difficult relationships, uh, but they're still family. Um, and none of us would be here without the others and none of us would uh, be able to 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 survive uh, without community. Um, so uh, as difficult as it may be, and as much as you may disagree, um, it, it's important to always keep in mind that um, we really do need each other. Uh, and uh, uh, none of us uh, none of us got here by ourselves. Uh, none of us are going to get through it by ourselves. Um, and ultimately, you know, none of us are are, are going to uh, uh, are going to conclude our lives by ourselves. Um, there's always somebody. Uh, who is uh, who's standing nearby. And uh, um, all you have to do is look. <laughs>